0: University of North Carolina, trying to block the release of some documents. Daily Caller rep- uh, reporting on this. These documents are related to the research of Dr. Ralph Barrick, a pioneer in uh, the uh, the world of uh, housing soldiers. Ralph Barrick? No, I'm kidding. He is a pioneer in the world of dangerous gain-of-function virus research. Yeah, North Carolina's own. UNC is being sued by an organization, a nonprofit watchdog called U.S. Right to Know, which works to expose wrongdoing by corporations and governments in the healthcare space. And they want some documents that are related to Dr. Barrick's research on housing soldiers. No, I'm kidding. While working at the university, while some documents have been turned over during the course of the coronavirus pandemic, UNC has now filed a motion to dismiss trying to prevent the release of some documents being sought by U.S. Right to Know, or, or their acronym, USRTK, I think, USRTK. They opted to sue after UNC refused to turn over certain documents, ...through the public records request, citing a research exception under the Public Records Act. The organization, U.S. Right to Know, has filed 13 public records requests on the work done by Barrick, as well as Tony Barrick. I'm guessing his wife? I don't know. Daughter? It's T-O-N-I, which I believe that's the female spelling of the word. Am I allowed to say that now? I'm not trying to misgender somebody. I'm not trying to deadname anybody. I'm just wondering if they're related because they have the same last name, B-A-R-I-C, which is kind of a unique last name. I mean, what a coincidence if they both turned out to be, you know, unrelated, but the same last name, both working in gain-of-function research, right? That would be really weird. Almost as weird as like them working with the Bat Lady from Wuhan Institute of Virology, which, by the way, they were. It's just super coincidental. That's all. The university failed to turn over any documents after a February mediation uh, session and the uh, nonprofit Watchdog Group put out a statement saying that the UNC, as an institution of higher learning, should help the public to learn everything they can. Everything that can be learned about the pandemic and its origins and not try to obscure or bury such lessons. We don't really know why UNC is trying to keep these documents secret Even though there's worldwide interest in them, we do know that Ralph Barrick was a close collaborator with the Wuhan Institute of Virology. We also know that Barrick was on the DARPA diffuse uh, proposal, which in retrospect reads something like a how to guide for creating SARS CoV 2. What makes Barrick notable in the world of microbiology is that he developed a groundbreaking method of inserting. New genetic code into pathogens without leaving any evidence. He's like the Alec Murdoch of microbiology. He used it to make coronaviruses more dangerous as part of research projects. He has collaborated throughout his career with Dr. Shi Zhengli. That's the bat woman who worked at the WIV, Wuhan Institute of Virology. But he's also collaborated throughout his career with Peter Dazak, who is the head of EcoHealth Alliance. EcoHealth Alliance is a nonprofit that funneled taxpayer money from the National Institutes of Health to the WIV. So EcoHealth Alliance is the cutout. It's sort of the uh, Mark Elias of, you know, of the Fauci to, yeah, Fauci to WIV connection there. It's the bag man, the guy in the middle, right? They're the middleman. EcoHealth Alliance is the middleman that gets the taxpayer money from the government-funded source and gets it to the WIV when you're not allowed to be funding that kind of research with U.S. taxpayer dollars. Proponents of the lab leak theory of COVID-19 origin believe that gain-of-function research at the WIV, the type of work that Barrick engages in, led to the release of the virus from the Wuhan lab and kickstarted the pandemic. And so wouldn't it be nice to know if maybe there is something that we can learn about his research and whether it is connected to the COVID-19? Wouldn't it be nice to know that? Wouldn't it be nice to know if the thing is man-made, maybe then there's some way to unmake it or to fight it, right? Unless, of course, they already do know that and they're just not saying it. They just don't want us to know, right? And that's why they don't want to give up the documents. Maybe. Emails unearthed previously by this organization from Dr. Anthony the Science Fauci reveal that the Science Fauci had scheduled a meeting with Barrick in the early weeks of the pandemic, during which they apparently discussed just generally, you know, pandemic outbreaks and, you know, genetically modified viruses. You know, the normal stuff. That's all. Completely coincidental. I am sure. What else? Uh, there was something else here I had on the. Uh, do, 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 do. Yeah. John Hood has a piece at Carolina Journal. COVID mandates were too strict. Oh, hang on. There is the. Uh, hang on. I do have this. I mean, I'll pull up the uh, the audio clip. Have Did you see this clip from Gretchen Whitmer? the uh the governor of michigan on the lockdowns let me play this audio let me see here this should play let me see uh oh wait hang on i got to unmute her. okay you are unmuted governor uh, you are now blast full blast volume let's hear what she has to say i think this is with uh anderson cooper there were moments where we you know had to make some decisions that in retrospects don't make a lot of sense right um, if you went into the hardware store you could go in the hardware store but we we didn't want people you know all congregating around the gardening supplies people said oh she's outlawed seeds it was february in michigan no one was planting anyway but um, that being said you know some of those policies i look back and think you know that what maybe was was a little was a little more than we needed to do a little yeah. more than we needed to do okay all right look i'm going to give her credit because i have been saying that these leaders That made these decisions, and some of them were very difficult decisions. You had limited information, right? You didn't know if it was man-made. You didn't know if it was what... You know what was happening, right? So people were making decisions as best they could. And I I, I try to give people the benefit of the doubt, right? But there has to be a reckoning after the fact that said... Where where you go through and you say, Okay, I made this decision, and that one probably wasn't a good one. I probably should have... If I had to make that one again... I would pick the other, knowing what I know now, I would pick the other option. And maybe all you had were bad options to choose from, right? But she's saying, okay, it didn't make a lot of sense on the lockdown policy. Some some of the places we locked down probably shouldn't have been locked down, and some of the ones that we allowed to remain open probably shouldn't have been allowed, whatever. I mean, she's at least acknowledging that she didn't get it right 100% of the time. And I mean, that is and that is the most charitable interpretation of her comments that I can offer here. But I think she deserves some modicum of credit that I am not giving to Roy Cooper, because he hasn't said anything of the sort, right? He hasn't, he hasn't indicated that a single one of his decisions at any points along the way, over the two years that he kept us under an emergency declaration, Roy Cooper's E.D., that he kept that going. And, He has never once said he made a single mistake during uh, this ED episode. So, I don't know, I'm going to give her some credit. John Hood at Carolina Journal, he says they shut down businesses, withheld basic public services, such as in-person schooling. They ordered healthy, law-abiding citizens not to travel, not to visit their loved ones, or even to enter a house of worship. Although the last edict didn't last uh, long Right, because of legal challenges, as a freedom-minded conservative, I did not argue at the time that the governor and his team had no legitimate power to act during emergencies. Infectious disease is one of the few cases in which highly coercive action may be required to protect public health and safety. This has always been uh, one of the uh, like the, the issue among you know conservative, limited government, libertarian types, like yeah, this one gets a little dicey. Because do you let the pandemic rage? like, if, let's say, let's say COVID was, you know, was like 99% lethal. You, you, you look at somebody with COVID and you die, right? Extreme measures might need to be taken in order to save lives, right? And that becomes a very difficult thing to square with a limited government, civil libertarian position or ideology or philosophy. But it represents a rare exception to the rule that private property should be inviolate and that informed consent and not government dictate is the proper way for people to manage the risks and rewards of life in a civilized society. I didn't question motives. He says, as I wrote at the time, a genuine respect for the good intentions and public service of government officials does not require that we accept their edicts without scrutiny or complaint, however. Right. But the mandates were too strict. Secretary of Defense is, uh, said that he just got off the phone with the Russians and uh, he said, uh, you know, we're going to keep flying our drones in international airspace and you need to act professionally as a fighter pilot. And oh, yeah, we're going to keep funding the Ukrainians. Um, they're doing a press conference. So that's it. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that, that was it. Like, that's the highlight, right? The, the fighter jet hit our, hit our uh, drone and crashed our drone, and it's an aggressive action, which I'm sure will not lead to anything else, and it's not, okay, like I said, I said this the other day, it's like, I get the feeling like I'm riding on a, a twisty, windy mountain road, and there's no guardrail, and I'm looking down the side, you know, looking at like, you know, Armageddon down off the side, like that's kind of what I feel like with the geopolitical scene right now, <laughs> so I'm looking out, and I'm thinking, oh, huh, Man, that would really stink if we fell all the way down the side of this mountain. Slippery slope, if you will. Um, John Hood at Carolina Journal. COVID mandates were too strict. He says he didn't question people's motives. I know a lot of people were saying that about Roy Cooper, you know, drunk with power. He's trying to do this, trying to do that, whatever. I was always willing to assume that he was trying to do the best he could. For the best reasons, I I, I tried at the very beginning of the pandemic. I assume that he's getting this information. He's making these calls and stuff based on, you know, the science and data as is intoned in the incantations in the Church of Branch Covidians. But along the way, I kind of got disabused of that idea because uh, it turns out, you know, he's taking cues from the White House. When Biden gets in and now the messaging is, you know, tailored around what the national uh, Democratic Party is looking to do. There's the protection of the teachers unions and such in different parts of the country that are now somehow are affecting us. Right. There are the mask mandates, the uh, the studies that were cited that don't actually Prove the things that they say they, the, the studies proved in order to justify the draconian mandates no, none of that none of that. So along the way, it became obvious that no, he wasn't he wasn't making the right decisions for the right reasons in all cases. and I would call them out as they as they popped up, like for example, the uh, the one about breweries and and wineries right they were they were allowed to be open, but the private clubs were not, and didn't make any sense. I'm allowed to right I'm am allowed to go drink beer at at an Applebee's at their bar area but I can't just go to a bar. So John Hood like me, you know, at the beginning did not question motives. He says I wrote at the time a genuine respect for the good intentions and a public service of government officials. You can have that, but it does not mean that we accept what you say, all of your mandates, without scrutiny or complaint, right? So I can I can criticize your decision while still thinking you're, you know, trying to do the best job. I could still say, I don't like what you did there. And we can look at the policies and the mandates and such. Scrutinize the available data. Look at the risks, right? I was beating this drum during the pandemic. It's about risk assessment. Everyone has to make their own risk assessments, We began to complain that our officials were not weighing these two sets of risks properly and that the governor's unilateral actions were neither legal nor wise. But were the governor's restrictions on commerce, travel, and public service, were they wise? That question is still fiercely debated. Cooper and his defenders observed that North Carolina's COVID death rate, even after adjusting for age and other risk factors, was significantly lower than the death rates of less restrictive neighbors like South Carolina and Tennessee. They also point out that while North Carolina was stricter than our neighbors, we opened up more quickly and thus sustained less damage to our economy and personal liberties than did such states as New York or California. Both claims are true, but they do not, however, constitute an ironclad defense of Cooper's decision, for there were other states that both regulated less than North Carolina and experienced comparable or better COVID outcomes. States like Colorado, Wisconsin, Utah, Florida. How did they fare better than us? Right? You can't pick and choose, say, oh well we did better than South Carolina. Right, but Florida did better than us. And they got older people. They got a lot of old people in Florida. I mean, so I've heard. It's been a while since I've been to Florida. The study found no statistically significant relationship between the stringency of state COVID regulations and death rates. This is from the Paragon Health Institute, evaluated these claims and there was no statistically significant relationship between how strict a state was and their death rates. There was a strongly negative relationship between State stringency and economic performance, though, they did find that, that the tougher the state locked down, the tougher the rules were, the more penalties imposed on people, right, the worse the economic damage was to that state. They did find a correlation there. During the pandemic, John Hood says public officials had to make difficult choices under stressful conditions. Many of those choices turned out to be unwise. In particular, North Carolina imposed too many mandates and kept its public schools closed for too long. I hope we never have to go through something like this again. But if another pandemic strikes, we must remember this. And this is the point. It's not a matter of, you know, getting a pound of flesh out of my good friend Ray's buttocks here. That's not the point. Or out of his hide. Okay, it's like, fine. That's not the point is to, you know, score some political points against Governor Cooper. The point is to make sure that we all go into the next pandemic having learned the same lesson from this one. And if we're not willing to look at and and do an autopsy, if you will, on things that worked and things that didn't and what the impacts were and was the juice worth the squeeze on all of these different mandates, if we're not willing to do that, then we're going to make the same mistakes again. And I would think we would want to avoid that. That's just me. But I'm like, I'm just, I'm all about solutions. So... Uh, Maybe I just look at the world differently. All right. Are you prepared for a disaster? Do you need some advice? Are you looking for military surplus that's real? Well, for more than three decades, the answer has been Old Grouch's Military Surplus in downtown Clyde. It is an old-school, traditional store. It's got a mix of modern and vintage items. See my friend Tim? He'll hook you up. He gets new stuff in all the time, American-made, because it's real military surplus. Camo, shirts, hats, customized dog tags, gear— Old Grouches on Main Street, downtown Clyde, across the street from the anti-aircraft gun. The shop is open Monday through Saturday and all the time at oldgrouch.com. Uh, what the Democrats are lamenting about the uh, the redistricting lawsuits um, is that courts don't have the power to overrule the state legislature when in performance of its constitutional duties per the separation of powers. You know, if, if the legislature does something that the the Democrats in another branch don't like. So rather than convince more voters to vote for their policies so they have the power to draw the maps they want, they take it to a court, try to convince one, you know, handpicked judge, who, by the way, their party probably appointed when they had the power, right? Um, On Medicaid expansion, uh, Sharon says, oh, and toll lanes, Uh, Oh, interesting. Connecting these dots. Let's see. Both items were shoved through despite conservative opposition. It's a done deal. There's nothing you can do about it, said Tom Tillis on the toll lanes. That was before any contracts had been signed, before it was approved by the local Metropolitan Planning Organization. Governor Pat McCrory on the conservative opposition to the toll lanes on his upcoming election said, oh, they'll come around. It's amazing how many conservatives blame the toll opponents on Cooper's win instead of the stubborn and arrogant actions of Pat McQuarrie when voters begged him to cancel the project, they think we have to vote for them, but we do not. Well, that's true. Yeah, I mean, if you, like, it I can't, look, you can't claim credit for ousting McQuarrie over the toll lanes and then be mad that people blame you for ousting McQuarrie over the toll lanes. Right? Because absolutely, the people of North Mecklenburg County turned on Pat McQuarrie. Right. They didn't turn out for him or they turned against him and voted for Cooper, who, by the way, put in charge of the entire DOT, the guy who gave us the toll lanes. So we, we ended up getting the same thing. So was the juice worth the squeeze? We got eight years of Cooper. Was that worth it? Would he have would Pat McCrory have been a better governor during the pandemic? I don't know. Right. I, nobody knows. Nobody knows. But we got Cooper. The whole state got Cooper for eight years and an empowered Democrat party. That's what the trade-off was for the toll lanes. So, oh, and Tillis ended up in the U.S. Senate. So, <laughs> like, what was the? I, I, those are the ramifications. Um, I don't know. I'm like, I'm trying to think through. Like, what's the? Like, what was the victory? They think we have to vote for them. We do not. And you are correct. Pat McCrory lost. Tom Tillis has won twice. So, I yeah, I don't know. But I see. I like. I wasn't here uh, during the toll lane fight. I was not here for that fight. I kind of. I, I read about it after the fact, but I wasn't here during the fight. Um, and my understanding of it was that the that the the toll lanes went through the local commit like the local governing bodies and stuff that that all went through and everybody was okay with it initially and then some and then when people opposed it, when the public came out against it, then a lot of these people who were making earlier decisions, they all started flipping. that's that was what I had heard, but I don't again, I, I wasn't here so I don't know. Water under the bridge at this point um, but speaking of the Medicaid expansion, Speaker of the House, Tim Moore. He put out a statement on uh, Governor Cooper's budget proposal. So, again, I'm trying to devote as few brain cells to Governor Cooper's budget proposal because it has zero chance of being passed. <laughs> because he's, you know, he's a Democrat governor and he's calling for, you know, expansion of government and more spending and everything else. But whatever. So it's not going to pass. The Republicans are not going to pass his budget. But um, the Speaker of the House put out a, a statement And he says that uh, the budget proposal takes the same reckless approach to spending that his fellow Democrats have taken in Washington. Unfortunately, this kind of runaway spending has resulted in a failing economy that has left millions of Americans behind. Okay. Um, So is taking billions of dollars. in federal money for Medicaid expansion in North Carolina? Is that part of the runaway spending problem in D.C.? Or is that, or, or no? Because I would think that it's tied to that. What am I supposed to make of this? Come on. Seriously? Oh, then there's this. Have you uh, heard uh, Washington, uh, D.C., has a, a new guessing game going on? Who is the unnamed Biden family member who got money from a $3 million wire to Hunter Biden's associate, John Rob Walker. John Rob Walker is his name. His middle name is Rob. Oh, my gosh. Really? Again, like these are like cartoonish names. His name is Rob. John Rob Walker. Anyway, Hunter Biden associate, John Rob Walker. Gets $3 million wired. And uh, this comes just a couple weeks after Joe Biden leaves office in 2017 as vice president. The House Oversight Committee Chairman James Comer, Republican from Kentucky, first revealed Monday night that bank records obtained via subpoena implicate a new Biden family member in the panel's probe of the first son's alleged influence peddling scheme. The records uh, obtained from Bank of Earth Uh, Sorry, Bank of America, show that in March 2017, Walker received a $3 million wire transfer from two individuals who just so happened to have ties with the Chinese Communist Party. Walker then divvied up the uh, money, the $3 million, to multiple Biden family members. And so apparently now... Uh, This includes a new Biden family member that has never before been identified as somebody being involved in the influence peddling scheme. Congressman Comer went on Sean Hannity's program on Fox News uh, Tuesday night. Uh, He also went on. uh, What's the American Newsroom with Bill Hemmer uh, on Fox as well, saying that investigators are curious about what work the three Biden family members did to justify receiving the $3 million from Walker and what the purpose was of the original wire. Comer noted that the $3 million transfer was just the first wire that we've actually been able to obtain bank records on. There are many, many more. And he emphasized that the scope of the panel's investigation goes beyond the president's son, Hunter Biden. The media says, well, this is a Hunter Biden investigation. Comer says, this is an investigation of Joe Biden. And we are investigating the Biden family. And again, after this new batch of information, it expands. There are more family members involved in this than just the president's son. And what they have said in the media, oh, this was for business. But here's the thing. We can't identify any business. This is the this is the like the smoking gun like with Hillary Clinton and they were like oh but her emails no 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 it was the server they like there were no smoking gun no the smoking gun is the server the existence of the server is the smoking gun you don't set up your own server like she did in order to conduct government business. On an unsecure homebrew server, you don't do that unless you want the ability to permanently delete, to permanently, you know, like wipe with the cloth, you know, like to permanently wipe the files. That's the purpose. That's the smoking gun. Just like here, the lack of any business. What exactly are you are you selling? What service are you providing these companies that cut you these checks? What's the business? What's your expertise? What is the value received? What is it? It's the name. It is simply influence peddling. That's all it is. You can't identify a business because there isn't any business. It appears that the money went into their personal accounts. And Comer said that his theory is that the Biden family was running an influence peddling operation, possibly without being properly registered as foreign agents. His brother, Jim Biden, worked with a company called Hillstone International. That is a subsidiary of construction management firm Hill International. He joined the firm. Jim Biden joined the firm as an executive VP three weeks after Hillstone International's president visited the White House and met with one of Biden's advisors. So White House meeting between a uh, honcho at Hill, and then Jim Biden ends up working for Hill, and then, he uh, by the way, he has no, uh, no experience or background in housing construction. But after he joined the firm, Hillstone secures numerous contracts from the federal government for dozens of projects in the U.S., in Iraq, in Puerto Rico, in Mozambique, and elsewhere. He's just that good, Jim Biden is. He's just that good. All right, so Joe Biden's <laughs> Joe Biden's son-in-law. This is according to uh, Peter Schweitzer. He wrote a book, I think it's, yeah, Peter Schweitzer wrote a book, Profiles in Corruption, back in 2020, talking about the Biden family influence peddling operation. And uh, in that book, he talks about several uh, people in the Biden family that are probably, that maybe, this may be connected to uh, the wire transfer and who this fourth person is. Anyway, th- this is according to the story of the Daily Caller. You got uh, Dr. Howard Crane, Crane or Krein, K R E I N. So it's like Stein, but with a K R. So Crine, maybe? Howard Crine? Anyway, Howard Crine is married to Ashley Biden, and uh, that's Joe Biden's daughter. And he launched a startup health. Investment consultancy, that's the name of it, Startup Health, Investment Consultancy, when his father-in-law, Joe, was vice president. That company was later featured at a large healthcare tech conference run by the Department of Health and Human Services. Startup health executives became frequent visitors to the White House while Joe Biden was the Veep. Frank Biden, president's youngest brother, runs a solar energy company, need I say more? right <laughs> coast yeah he's a uh, yeah sun fund americas signed it's a reportedly signed a deal with the ministry of public education in costa rica to develop renewable energy in the country where joe biden also acted as the obama administration's point man uh valerie biden owens joe's younger sister ran all of his senate campaigns and his presidential runs in 1988 and 2008 was also a senior partner in the political messaging firm Joe Slade White & Company. The firm received large fees from those campaigns, including $2.5 million alone from the 2008 presidential bid. And then there's 2019. Joe insisted that he has never talked with his son or his brother or anyone else, even distant family, about their business interests, period. And if Joe Biden says it, you can take it to the bank. With corn pop, here's another guy looking to get paid. Um, Ayman Halim of Chicago. He filed a class action lawsuit against Buffalo Wild Wings. He alleges that their boneless wings are just chicken nuggets. And I, I can't. I can't say he's wrong, right? I've never understood the boneless chicken wing marketing thing. There, it, it is a chicken nugget, right? It's This he says this clear cut case of false advertising should not be permitted as consumers should be able to rely on their plain meaning of a product's name and receive what they are promised. He says the wings, quote unquote, sold at Buffalo Wild Wings are actually slices of chicken breast meat, deep fried like wings. The lawsuit says Halim suffered financial injury. He suffered financial injury after he bought some high priced wings before knowing what they were made of later regretting his decision. He contends that if consumers knew what the wings were really made of, chicken breast meat, they might forego buying them at all, or at least be only willing to pay much less. Buffalo Wild Wings offers wings in two varieties, right? The first is called traditional, that's the bone-in variety, and that is the only proper way to eat chicken wings. The second is the boneless variety, which Halim contends is not made of meat from the wing. It's not chicken wing meat. So when you say you're getting a boneless wing, you're not getting wing meat. You're getting breast meat. And that is different. I guess. Is that di- I don't Yeah, no, I don't I it's all it all tastes like chicken to me. Anyway, a menu posted by TMZ shows the cost for six traditional wings, the bone in wings, the only proper way to eat them, $11.29. The cost of the boneless ones, $9.79. All right, so just under 10 bucks for six boneless wings. 10 bucks, six boneless wings. You can get a pack of 20 nuggets at McDonald's for five (laughs) bucks, right? So for half the price, you get like, Three times the nuggets. But that's not, but that's not even chicken, is it? No, I kid, I kid McDonald's. I'm just kidding. At Wendy's, customers pay a little bit more, $5.99 for 10 nuggets. At Burger King, hungry patrons can get 10 chicken nuggets, as well as a drink, as well as a small fry for $5.99. There you go. So if you have been wronged. By Buffalo Wild Wings, there's a class action lawsuit out there that you might be able to hop on and get your $9 back. Godspeed to you. We'll see you tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone.